the very first essential is to aim to be your ideal self. Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. My next two guests, Doug Lenick and Chuck Walkendorfer, these guys are deep thinkers. And it was so much fun talking to them. I spent about an hour after the podcast talking just to Doug as Chuck had to leave. But if you don't know Doug Lenick, he is an amazing author. Take a look at some of his books on Amazon. He's the current CEO and co-founder of Think to Perform. Check them out. He is legendary for his innovative approaches to developing high performance in individual and organizations and is an expert at developing practical applications of the art and science of human behavior, financial, and other things which we'll get into. And Chuck, also an amazing dude. Unfortunately, I only had this hour to talk to him. He's the president at Think to Perform and an executive coach. In fact, he coaches on mission and vision development, leadership engagement, accelerated growth, and improved profitability. You've got to check out both of these guys and listen into this podcast. Take notes. We go pretty deep and we have some fun. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts, a Success Magazine podcast. And today I've got Doug Lenick and Chuck Wachendorfer. Don't mess it up. It's not Wachendorfer, okay? Uh, but guys, welcome to the show. Been spelling that name since by kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know, Tristan, Chuck, we've had this running fun in our company. And during the reign of Queen Elizabeth, we always call Chuck Prince Charles, and he now is the king. So we we don't have, so we now have King Charles. So you're welcome to use that if you'd like. If you king forget Charles. how to say Wachendorfer, just say King That's Charles. That's the best, man. <laughs> I love, I'll just refer to you as King Charles. You can roll with Chuck, Tristan. You and I are on that kind of first name basis. We're good. <laughs> Well, dude, I think it started when I looked at your background and I saw Jordan's jersey. I was like, I like this guy already. Yeah, yeah. I got Jordan and a few other things in here. I have a sports memorabilia problem, as does Doug. Uh, your new book is out, guys. It just came out. We've got the same publishing company. I think your book is amazing. Don't wait for someone else to fix it. That's the main title. And as I started reading it, I was thinking, got it. Stop it with the victim mentality and yeah. and the leadership principles. I want to start with, because I also hear the opposite of this is, is when people tell me, not everyone is a leader, Tristan. And I'm like, ah, I just, and that's why I loved it. It's like, well, tell me the idea behind everyone is a leader. We got challenged by that by one of our one of the publishers we were talking about. They're like, you know, what are you talking about? Not everybody's a leader, and you know, Doug says it very well. You know, we're influenced by who we you know hang out with, what we read, what we listen to, what we watch, and 
a lot of our behavior is observable by others. So we're both being influenced and influencing people all the time. If you believe that leadership is about influence, then we're both leaders and followers, regardless of title or position. And that was really the essence of the book. We wanted to write a leadership book that could help anybody anywhere. It's not a business leadership book. It's not a, I got to have a title or I got to have to have this role. It's about like, if I want to make a, a difference in my life or the lives of other people, what are the eight essentials I can begin applying in my own life? Well, you know, and, and ideally, and it's kind of interesting too, and this concept of everyone is a leader, as Chuck was saying, we, the, we basically talking to success magazine. Uh, I mean, the short story is leadership as we look at it and define it is everything one does to influence somebody else. Leadership equals influence. That's the equation. Mm -hmm. Followership equals being influenced. And as Chuck said, we are both. We are all influenced and we are all influencing others. And, and what we want to point out is you don't get an option on that. You will influence people. The question isn't, will you have an influence? The question is, what kind of influence will you have? And the very first essential, Chuck mentions the essentials, the very first essential is to aim to be your ideal self. Yep. It's essential that you aim to be your ideal self. And what's interesting, I had a I did a leadership session yesterday with a group of people in a theater and and we talked about what happens when you are your ideal self. And I and I challenged them. I said, "So, what's actually happening? Let's start with how do you feel when you're who you really ideally want to be? How do you feel?" They said, "Great." And then I said, well, what are you doing? And then they said things like, well, we're making a, a difference. We're helping other people. We have an impact. Everything they said was about leadership. And these were people that some of them were actors. Some of them were behind the scenes people. Some of them were from the kitchen. Some were from mm. the box office. It doesn't matter, as Chuck said. And in fact, the guy that runs the theater is featured in the third essential or the fourth essential, which is embrace empathy and compassion. Mm -hmm. And so um, Chuck set it up. So thanks, Chuck, for setting up the eight essentials. But your question is terrific, Tristan. I hope that helps. I hope our it, answer it does. And, and look, just so people understand the eight essentials, uh, I've gotten them in front of me. It's aim to be your ideal self, know your real self, ignite integrity and responsibility, Embrace empathy and compassion, decide wisely, let go of what you know, which was my favorite, mm. achieve meaningful goals, and empower others. And uh, I, I want to go to the ideal self because I find that from childhood, a lot of us have this, this innate feeling to just please everyone around us that's an authority. Yeah. And and I, I really related with the ideal self, and I'm like, man, what does that really mean, right? right. And so I started digging deeper. But I want to know from both of you, when you're talking about the ideal self, 
how do we begin to find that? Well, that's part of what we talk about in the book is how to discover that. You know, in fact, I was in Canada yesterday uh, talking about the book. And when you ask people if they have values, they act kind of insulted. Like, what do you mean? I, you, you think I don't have values? <laughs> so everybody, you know, 99% of the people you ask that question to are going to say, yeah, I got values. Which then leads yeah. to the second question, which is, well, what are they? And that's where it gets kind of fuzzy because people say things like, well, honesty, integrity, family, and then it gets it gets fuzzy. So, you know, we talk in our in the in our book around decide wisely, right? This the, the decision making has twice the impact on performance than talent and skill combined. And unlike mm-hmm. our IQ, we can improve our decision making. There's two drivers of decision making. One's my emotional competence, which is how well I manage myself emotionally. The other is moral competence. And moral competence is using my values to guide my decision-making. So if I say I have values, but I don't know what they are, (laughs) that's a problem. (laughs) And so in in the book, we talk about how to discover your values. And the goal here is using my values. Well, to use my values in guiding my decision-making, I have to know them. Yeah, I got to know what they are. So my top five values are meaningful work, spirituality, family, health, and integrity. Those are my five. Doug has his five. We have four mm-hmm. values for our company. I cheated, Tristan. I have six, but and you I just wanted people. to be Chuck, man. That's it. Yeah, right? yeah. No, right. I, I I say, well, it's our game, you know. So when I do the workshop, but mine are family, happiness, wisdom, integrity, service, and health. And what mm-hmm. I encourage people to do, and Chuck and I, all of us at Think to Perform, do this. Use something to trigger values reflection and then put verbs in front of them. I use water. So I'm sitting here with my Perrier's. I like Perrier's and Pellegrino's are my waters of choice. And so I'm having my Perrier. When I drink water, I go like this. In the time it took me to do that, here's what goes through my mind. Love your family. Be happy. Seek wisdom. Behave with integrity. Do something of service for somebody else today. Go on Tristan's show and make healthy choices. And then I set that water bottle down and I say to myself, and you made one just now. So water to me represents health. Wow. Now, all we do is we give people tools. We talk about the, and, and essentially the book, Don't Wait for Somebody Else to, to Fix It, is designed to be a used book, a workbook. We give people tools, and the tools will help those who are good at stuff become great. And those will help, they're tools that will help people who are great become better. Because what we have figured out that anybody who's great at something wants to get better. Jim Collins figured out that uh, good is the enemy to great. But once you defeat good, and we can help, the eight essentials help people defeat good, but they also help those who are already great. They defeated good, got great. They help them become better. And we make the point. There is no end to better. Well, to Doug's point about the decision-making that he made in, in, you know, in that moment to drink Perrier, 
we make 35,000 decisions a day. Most of them we don't think about. So how I take my coffee in the morning, brushing our teeth, getting dressed, those are all choices we make. And we don't have to make all 35,000 better. But to Doug's point, if we made one or two better choices a day, you're talking about five, six, seven hundred better decisions a year. Mm-hmm. And whether it's your business or your life or your family or your relationships, I think, you know, those of us who are parents, I mean, what do we yell to our teenagers as they walk out the door? Make great decisions, right? I mean, that's the importance of decision making. And, mm-hmm. you know, so if I can know my values and use my values to guide decision making, I'm going to be more like my ideal self more often. And and the and the psychic reward for this is is even better than the extrinsic reward. I mean, people who live in alignment will uh, be high performers in whatever discipline mm-hmm. they're in. So I don't care yeah. what discipline you're in, but if you're living in alignment with who you ideally want to be, you're going to be. Doggone good. I almost used a damn word. I wouldn't do that. But you're going to be doggone good. <laughs> You'll be doggone good at what you do. And and not just at your job, but in life. And, and it feels good. It feels good. The psychic reward is so remarkable. And 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 you you feel better by doing something for somebody else. And it I know it sounds trite but it really, really works. Well, I think for for many people, Tristan, you know, they want to be, you know, we want to be successful, you know, and and I think for, for too many people, success is defined as outside in. Mm -hmm. And what many people realize is when they've achieved whatever that level of success is, you know, a house, a certain amount of money, a car, a job, whatever it might be, it becomes somewhat of an empty chase. Yeah. And yeah. so what, what what our approach really is, is about inside out. So how can I be the best person that I want to be or I can be more often? But it starts with knowing my values. That's why we start with that first, is if I know who I hope to be, well, then when I'm not that person, because it's not about being perfect, it's about it's about progress. It's can I be that person more often? And when I make a mistake, if I know my values, I'm able to correct it a little faster. Yeah. Yeah. Living in alignment is not a lifetime achievement award. And you read the book, you notice my own story opens aim to be your ideal self. And it's not the most flattering part of my life. Uh, and so we're not this. This is not a lifetime achievement award. Anybody can disconnect, but to Chuck's point, if we use the tools to develop our emotional and moral competencies, we will be able to decide wisely and execute on our decision. And that's why aiming to be our ideal self is so crucial and critical. Essential is the word we use, it's one of the essentials. And when people learn, how to not just aim, but to actually do it, which mm-hmm. requires the second essential. And, and you brought it up. No, you And thank you for listing all eight of them. But, okay, here's who I am ideally. Now, who am I really? And, and really who I am is moment to moment, 
I'm a changing, evolving human being. And I am really right mm-hmm. now, just like you, Tristan, right now, you are really thinking. You are really experiencing emotions. You are really doing something physically. You're taking a note. I can see you writing. You know, so so what's happening is that's your reality. And so when we teach people it's this game, it's called the freeze game. And we'll teach you right now. In fact, we could do it. Should we do it, Chuck, with Let's him? Let's go, yeah. All, All right. right. All right. Freeze. All right, unfreeze. In the mm. moment we said freeze, what I'd like you to do is get back your ink pen again, Tristan, and write down what were you thinking at that moment when I said freeze. Mm. Emotionally, how were you feeling at that moment? And emotions, by the way, are words. Things like interested, confused, excited, engaged, bored. Yeah, whatever. And and then doing. What were you doing? And, And there is no nothing. As a lot of our communications with others is what we think is nothing. What were you doing? Nothing. Well, people were looking at your face. They were looking at your body. So you might mm-hmm. think you were doing nothing. That's what. That's not what people saw. They saw your face. Mm-hmm. And your face didn't look good. Or it looked no. great. Your face looked like, happy. Or your face looked like, angry. Oh, crap. Right. <laughs> well, no. 70, 70% of communication is nonverbal. So body language, facial expression matters more to communication than the words that I say. So we communicate our emotions in one twenty-fifth of a second. Oftentimes people who know us well will recognize how we're feeling before we know how we're feeling. So, you know, athletes talk about being in the zone. Being in the zone is being physically, mentally, and emotionally present. So the point of the freeze is I'm here, you know, doing this podcast, but I notice I'm not paying attention. Mm. Well, if I notice that because I'm playing the freeze, what might I do? Pay attention. Or choose so to go the, do whatever I'm doing. You know? Well, you know, part of the normal human experience is to, is to check out from time to time. I'm reading a book and I read 10 pages and I don't realize what I just read. Or I'm driving my car and I'm talking on the mm. cell phone. Well, I'm driving the car, but my intention is on the conversation. And if we want to perform at our best, then it's about being physically, mentally, and emotionally present. And that's the power of the freeze, as I yeah. notice. So what did you experience? What were you thinking, Tristan? What uh, was I was your... thinking, the first thing I thought was like, damn, I shouldn't have been picking up my cup of coffee. I should have. <laughs> that okay. was the first thing I thought. And then I go, oh, crap, no, am I moving? No. Exactly. Am I moving? And then I moved my eyes. And I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, damn it, I moved. That's what I was thinking. No, you froze really well. Emotionally, how are you feeling? What emotions uh, were you experiencing? I felt like I don't want to fuck this up. I was like, shit. So, you know, that's, I was just thinking like, I'm, I'm very like, no, those okay, are thoughts, emotions. How did you feel? Um, were you feeling? Good, good question, dude. I don't know. I'm mean, to think back. Yeah. I was trying to write it. Maybe down. anxious. I was thinking, See, what, I was, yeah, the, I was a little bit anxious. Yeah. Yeah. Like, where's he going with this? I've never done this before. I mean, yeah. you looked a little anxious. That's why I tried yeah. the name. Yeah. Confused. I you might have been. Anxious. I was like, I'm oh. a little. He actually called on me. I'm a little confused. I'm a little. 
caught off yeah. guard. I'm, a, you know, whatever it is. And that's the way life is. And the way the brain works is, is the practice makes permanent. Practice does not make perfect. So the neuroscience behind this is whatever you repeatedly think, whatever I repeatedly think, whatever I repeatedly do, gets wired into the habit center of the brain. And most of what we do, we do because we did. And all that we're trying to help people do is establish being aware of themselves moment to moment. Make that habitual. Make that a habit. Hmm. And so we give little reminders. We send out thousands of little freeze reminders every day. F freeze for free. And they just remind people. I get them. They come on my phone. I don't even have to look at them. It's very Pavlovian. When my phone clicks, I freeze. So I'm paying attention all day long, most of the time. We've taught hospital groups to do this. You know, it turns out the greatest hazard associated with surgery is distraction. Not incompetent, uh, not untrained yeah. medical professionals, people thinking about the wrong thing during surgery. So it's like the good news, bad news. Doctor comes in, Tristan, I got some good news and some bad news. You say, well, let's start with the good news. Well, the good news is, yeah, good news is surgery went really well. We did it perfectly. What's the bad news? We operated on the wrong body part. We we got, uh, but we but we were our execution was flawless. All we have to do is is the surgery again on the right body part. Are you up for it? Yeah, let's now, do it. Ideally, you would like your entire surgical team to be kind of focused on you. Do it on the right body. I'm glad you did it well, but I wished you had done the right body part. I mean, I had knee surgery here a couple of years ago, and to Doug's point, everybody on the surgical team came in and initialed my knee for the very reason that Doug is describing, because they don't want to work on the wrong body part. So it's, it's like the biggest risk in surgery is a distracted surgical team, as Doug is saying. And so the freeze is about noticing, right? If I start to notice, you know, how I'm feeling today, if I notice I'm happy and I believe that when I'm happy, I do better, then paying attention to when I'm happy is a really good thing. But there's also mm -hmm. other patterns that we notice, like things we don't like, or I'm tired, I'm worn out. Instead of ignoring that, we're encouraging people to pay attention to it because every pattern in life is a pattern, back to Doug's point, because at some point it worked for us. It became a pattern because we got the desired result. What happens is as we get older and our lives change, some of those patterns begin holding us back. So as an example, I worked with a woman years ago, a very successful female executive. Her name was Sharon. Sharon was very, very successful and miserable at the same time. I believe you tell this story in the book. Is that the... I think so. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and so Sharon, Sharon was about 100 pounds overweight. She had a very successful business. She would go to work at 730 in the morning, come home at eight o'clock, not eat, you know, skip lunch, not eat all day, be with her clients, be with her staff. She had a stay at home husband. She had two adult children lived at home. And 
you know, we were you noticing this pattern of how she didn't take care of herself. And I asked her, I said, where did you learn that your needs didn't matter? Right? Because we can pinpoint where the pattern started, then we can begin to see how it worked then and why it's not working now. Without any hesitation, Saren said, I was raised by a single mom. And when I was seven years old, my mom came down with cancer. And so from seven years old to 11, when my mom died, I had to take care of my mom, which is what Sharon needed to do to survive in her family. Mm-hmm. But it was counter to what any most other children learned. Most children have their parents take care of them. Sharon learned she had to take care of her mom. And that was a pattern she continued in her 50s. So she took care of her clients. She took care of her staff. She took care of her family. She took care of her husband. What she didn't do was take care of herself. Mm. And it was this juxtaposition of recognizing the pattern through playing the freeze. Because I, I asked her, I said, I want you to notice how often you're sacrificing your own needs. That was her homework. And she came back a few weeks later. She goes, I don't even know what my own needs are. <laughs> right? Oh, she, that's crazy. she was so used to sacrificing her own needs. Yeah. She didn't even know what they were. And one of the other people we interviewed for the book is a guy named Eric Larson. Eric Larson's a polar explorer. Been to the North Pole, skied 480 miles to the North Pole, been to the South Pole, been up Mount Everest. His number one rule, if you're going to be on his expedition, is take care of yourself. Why? Because if it's 60 degrees below zero and you haven't taken care of yourself, you're a risk not only to yourself, but to everybody else. But you can you can get away with that, like living in L.A. or Minneapolis or Denver. You can't get away with it at the North Pole. No. And that's what that's what Sharon was doing is driving herself into the ground, busy taking care of everybody else but herself. And so the freeze is this enables me to notice this pattern. And anybody who's listening to us right now, Tristan, anybody listening or watching, I it will honest to goodness, I I, I this is such as it sounds this can't be so. I assure you this is so. If you start today practicing the freeze game and you do it multiple times a day, it will change your life. If it's just this one thing, it'll change your life. Because what will happen is by getting to know your real self, you will naturally aim at who you are ideally. So let's go through so people can understand like step by step what are what, what's the process here if i'm going to do the freeze game i'm going to say freeze what's the thought process here after a few seconds i go through and say what was i thinking what was i feeling what is this process what was well, i doing those are the three questions yeah and given what you were experiencing just for you tristan given uh what you personally are experiencing we talk about aligning that reality with your goals and with who you are from the inside out, your values. So we can probably easily talk about goals. Got it. Is your goal for this session being achieved for you based on what you're doing? Are you in alignment? Are you thinking and doing the things you need to think to make this podcast what you want it to be. Got it. 
And when they connect, you know, the the values and the freeze together, if I freeze and I know my values, what I'm going to be noticing is, to Doug's point, am I aligned with my values? So once once we know our values, we can't unknow them. I mean, I guess we can forget them. So let's take health, for example. Because health is one of my values, one of Doug's values as well. When I don't work out or when I eat poorly, I notice Mm -hmm. it. It's a self-awareness thing. I know, I notice like, I don't, you know, I had four pieces of pizza. I didn't need to have the extra two pieces. I could have had two and been fine. You know, I notice when I have the extra drink. I notice when I don't work out. Whereas before, it's the lack of self-awareness and not knowing my values that doesn't, you know, I don't have that to guide my decision-making, my, my behavior. So it all boils down to this pattern. And by the way, you don't have to use all eight essentials, to Doug's point. Even if you just use one of these things, like the freeze, or did the values exercise, it's going to help guide your decision-making. Yeah. So it's not a book that you got to use everything. You got to use all eight essentials. You could use one of these things and use them infrequently and you'll start to see an impact. This is Doug said is a workbook. It yeah. is definitely. We, yeah. I tabbed it. I put in a lot of different notes. I was switching well, back and forth. For example, I will say like in the aim to be your ideal self chapter, Richard Leiter, who is a, maybe the world's leading authority on purpose. He's certainly one of the more recognized experts in the space, the power of purpose. We use his exercise. He's a both wrote our forward and a longtime friend and colleague and a mentor to to both of us. And uh, and we literally use his exercise in the chapter aim to be your ideal self. So you can come out of that chapter if you want, and you will have discovered your purpose. Everybody's here for we're here for a reason. And Lighter is artful at helping people discover that. So we use his exercise. We use our values exercise. Those are real things that real people do to work. It's a used book designed to be a used book. And and then that and then as you've been already mentioned, the freeze game shows up in chapter 2. But as Chuck said, you can use any essential and it will enhance your impact at work, at home, and anywhere else that needs you. It really will. Anyone. Think of each of them as a thread. When you twist them together, you create a rope. And when you create a rope, you can carry so much more than you could with each individual thread. Will a thread help? Absolutely. Pick a thread, it's going to help. But the rope will help you more than the thread. That's the okay. eight essentials working together. I love that. Let's dig into the eight essentials as a whole then, even though we, we don't need them all, right? And I'm, I'm thinking off of what, Chuck, you were mentioning patterns earlier. And I'm thinking of a, of a deeper question here. Where do you think the increase of mental health challenges have come from like what patterns can we identify in our society over the last 20, 30 years that have gotten us to where we are? And can we tackle that through, through these eight essentials? You know, it's a, that's a multi-layered 
answer to a very important question. I've had this kind of parts of this, this conversation with my own children. Emotions don't go away. They just get bigger. So when we don't know how to deal with our emotions, when we don't know how to share them with other people, when we don't have that connection, they just get bigger. They don't go away. And so when it comes to mental health, we turn to other things because we don't know how to deal with that emotion and we don't know who to turn to. So we have this goal achievement triangle, which I, I think we talk about in the book. But, you know, in order to achieve my goals, I got to get stuff done. Those are tasks. But I also need the help of other people. Those are relationships. When we get stressed, we tend to focus on tasks at the expense of relationships. And what really matters, what matters the most in terms of goal achievement are relationships, the help of other people. So you, you hear about books like It Takes a Village. Or, you know, but, but it's a connection with other people. We've all taken jobs, quit jobs, and stayed in jobs because of the people that we worked with or worked for. It's the relationship that matters. And so if I don't develop or know how to foster relationships in my life, then it isolates me. And isolation makes goal achievement harder. So we talk to businesses all the time. What's the best source of a new client or a new customer? Word of mouth or referral. That's a relationship-based activity. You could do more advertising. You could spend more money on marketing. But if you build great relationships with your clients and your customers, word of mouth is the best source of a new client. That's a relationship-based activity. I love that, man. That's actually very reminiscent about what other... There was a brain doctor that I spoke to earlier. I'm trying to remember his name. He said this very similar thing, which is, Relationships were so key to to humanity, and it was closer to us coming out of the COVID uh, time. But he's saying one of the one of the biggest challenges we had during that time was that we were almost prohibited from having these relationships in a in, in a actual setting with people to people, which damaged us in, in different ways. So that's very interesting that you say that. Well, yeah, you know, we, I, I we, that. We, we coach a lot of very, very successful people in our work at Think to Perform. And I'd say a common pattern, and Doug, you can weigh on this as well, is they're marching up the ladder of success, bigger, better, faster, more money, bigger company, more revenue, higher profitability. And at some point, if they have not built great relationships along the way, it's a very empty chase. Well, Chuck, you'll appreciate this too, uh, Tristan. Uh, I just we just got this looked at. One of we do a conference every year, and this fall we we have our Evolve conference. And uh, last year we had we've had great speakers every year, but this year we're bringing back one from last year. His name is Morgan Housel. And what you just said, Chuck, reminded me of this one little great Morgan Housel thing. He just published this uh, April twenty sixth, so it just came out. And just call some things I think it reminds me a lot of Will Rogers' follies. <laughs> it goes back to that kind of thing. But he says this I love this. The best measure of wealth is what you have minus what you want. He said that's how billionaires can be broke <laughs> because wow, it's about, yeah, it's really quite a remarkable thing. And when we wrote the book, Financial Intelligence, we, we really was re amazing. We discovered in our research that 30% of people in the domestic United States, 
who live uh, below the poverty line consider mm -hmm. themselves thriving. In other words, wealthy. They have, I don't have much and I want less. Therefore, I'm okay. I'm good. Where the, some of the people, I got all this and I want more and I'm miserable. So the psychic reward, and Chuck said it, I'm glad you said it earlier, it's inside out. The psychic reward doesn't come outside in. It comes inside out. That's so true. Uh, are you talking about Morgan Housel, the guy who wrote that book, The Psychology of yes, yes. Psychology. The yeah. Money? Yeah. The Money One? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, he's got a new book coming out this fall, by the way. And I'll plug our conference. Can I do that? Well, heck yeah. Bring it in, man. When's your conference and what, what is it about? It's October 3rd, the afternoon of October 3rd, the morning of October 4th. And it's a, it's, we call it the Evolve Conference. It's about the game of leadership evolving and the game and, and part of our track, we kind of split it. A good chunk of our audience uh, is really interested in our work in the behavioral financial arena. So guys like yourself in the real estate space, or, you know, we talk about behavioral financial advice and think to perform happens to own that designation. And so we have BFA, but our main speakers are all, it's all about leadership. So uh, Chuck mentioned, we talked, Morgan Housel will be one of our speakers. Uh, Liz Fosling, uh, who is an illustrator, talked and Chuck mentioned Big Feelings. She actually has a book out called Big Feelings. Uh, and, uh, and she's an illustrator, very popular, mostly focusing on the development of emotional intelligence. And then Johan Hari talks about focus. We've talked about that. And uh, it's a sad statistic right now uh, in the United States, they say that the average teenager can stay focused on one task for 65 seconds and the average office worker only three minutes. And so you want, for example, if surgery is going to take longer than three minutes, you want them to stay focused longer than three minutes. <laughs> Yeah, this I is, hope so. <laughs> so freeze, freeze. Well, you mentioned you know the whole chapter on learning agility, letting go of what you know, which I think is chapter eight. You know yep. what we're trying to bring in the conference, and we try and bring in the book are cutting edge tools that people can begin to use to become more effective in their lives. You know, and that requires some learning agility. I got to let go of what I know. The pattern back to what we were talking about earlier that I used to employ in my 20s doesn't work for me in my 60s. Not all of them anyway, right? But So how do I let go of that? And what, what do I replace it with? And so the, the Evolve Conference, and I think this will be the eighth year we've had the conference, is really about introducing new tools to help people begin thinking and behaving differently. Yeah. You know, and, what's, the, and, and, what's the website, guys? Thinktoperform.com. Yeah. The, the number two, think the word think, the number two, the word perform.com. Got it. I see it. And it's going to be in Minneapolis? Mm -hmm. Yes, it'll be in, in Minneapolis, uh, downtown Minneapolis, which is where I'm at right now in world headquarters. And yeah. and the uh, event will be at a, at a Marriott. We have the entire floor. It's an extraordinary experience. Breakouts. We have outstanding breakout speakers. Last year, Chuck, one of Chuck's clients, 
uh, who are our, some of our breakouts? You would remember Chuck. What? Uh, Peter Sepsik, Morgan Housel. Peter Sepsik's uh, number two in charge of Comeric Bank. We had uh, all kinds of people that really have have used and applied the eight essentials we talked about in our book. They actually give examples of how they've used these tools in their businesses, in their lives, to get results. You know, in fact, you're, if you're on our website, Tristan, you know, you talked about values. People can go to our website and take our values exercise for free. It's a virtual card deck. I think we've had over 38,000 people take our values exercise in the last six months. We actually, I th- we're now over 50,000. Wow. This is a good one, guys. I don't want to get distracted and take this right now, but <laughs> this is kind of cool. Amazingly enough, uh, we did a, uh, a, a session for a virtual session audience of people on the East Coast all in different locations. And we talked about the values exercise, mentioned the online and the CEO of the company did his exercise while we did the session. He completed it in 10 minutes. He sent everybody uh, his own values. And he said, I want everybody to do the exercise today, right after the meeting. And I will expect you to send me your values at the top of the hour. Wow. And and back to the point about relationships, like the mental health question, the the, the power in sharing our values is assuming you have a vested interest in me living my values, you could help me live my values, right? If you know health is important to me and you see me doing something that's not healthy, you might be able to point it out to me because you care about me. I mean, that's the, that's the point. That's, that's where you know, the, the power, and, and we have this even in our own company. We know each other's values. We have our company values. And so I want Doug to live his values. I want him to make, you know, to live his value of wisdom. I want him to live his value of health. Why? Because I care about him, but it's important to the company as well. That's yeah. true. Very well, true. and interestingly, he mentioned we call each other out, you know, and you read uh, the story for those who have, most of you have not yet read the book, but, and, uh, but, in the chapter, Aim to Be Your Ideal Self, the chapter opens with my story when I was out of alignment and my son used literally those words. He said, Dad, you are out of alignment. That cut through all the mustard. Mm-hmm. You're out of alignment. You're not in alignment yeah. with your values. Oh. <laughs> I, I mean... Dude. And and Chuck said this earlier. I'll be 71 years old next month. I would say in my life, I've been in alignment a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> More often than not. When I disconnect, I reconnect faster. But my last disconnect was more severe, you know, in that I drank too much and I qualified to go to treatment. <laughs> so it, it, it's not easy to qualify to go to treatment. You got to drink a lot. I like the verbiage you're using. I qualify yeah. <laughs> to go to treatment. <laughs> That's right. We would often remind each other while we were there. You know, we're all fully qualified to be here. So, so because you know Doug's son cares about him and knows Doug's values, he was able to make that observation. And call that out mm-hmm. in that's a constructive true. way, right? I mean, that's the yeah. And and there's no end to better. I've come back. 
I think with really good energy. What do you think, Chuck? You're experiencing yeah. me. <laughs> I mean, like, whatever. It's, we it's just tell each being, other the truth. It's not about being perfect. It's about, you know, can I be that person more often? And when I'm not, can I correct it faster? Yeah. I think that, so that that's key right there because sometimes in going through this, this leadership discovery, right? Self-discovery, right? From the inside out, we stop and we, we feel like, damn it. Like I messed up here. I messed up there. I suck at this. I'm terrible at this. And then we get just stuck in this whole rut of Mm -hmm. just feeling sorry for ourselves and we never get out of it. Right. Well, one of the things I loved, and you may have seen it, listeners may have seen it, it was Jalen Hurts' interview after the Super Bowl, and they were asking him about how he felt about losing the Super Bowl. And if you saw that, his answer was, you're either winning or you're learning. I think sometimes we get in the beating ourselves up, to your point, and miss the opportunity to learn, which is really part of the point we make in learning agility. Learning agility is not like doing something brand new perfectly. Rarely does that ever happen. It's about being okay with making mistakes and owning it when I do. And then making, taking, taking corrective action. You know, a couple of years ago, I went at our Evolve conference. And by the way, I forgot to mention our fourth keynote will be Chuck and Doug. So you got to just, just that, just (laughs) that. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. But a couple of years ago, I was giving this presentation and I was talking about knowing is the enemy of learning and this whole, you know, let go of what you know. And my father, who's now deceased, always taught me that. He said, knowing is the enemy of learning. And he said, I would like you to put that on my gravestone. And so on his gravestone, I have that knowing is the enemy of learning. And oh, no, not that. He said, "Put and yet I am still learning. And yet I am still learning. And someone heard me give the speech. In fact, our collaborative writer, Kathy Jordan, who Chuck and I uh, retained to help us write this book, and she's awesome. She listened to that, and she herself has a book in, on art. And this is an art piece. And you're, you're Spanish, so can you see that? I can barely see it. What does it say on the top? On a prendo in that. Can you let's see if you can, if I can get it up there. Oh, yeah, that's very good, dude. And what does that mean? That means, I, and yet I'm still learning. So, yeah. 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 That's the big, that's what we're talking about here. Wow. Knowing is the enemy of learning. Let go of what mm. you know. You've said it. I heard Chuck say, say, uh, groove. I heard you say rut. Everybody wants to be in a groove. No one wants to be in a rut. But mm. oftentimes, and our another mentor friend of ours uh, used to say it all the time, Jeff Stiefler, uh, everybody wants to be in a groove. No one wants to be in a rut. The problem is things that once worked for you become ruts. And Chuck said it really well earlier. Yeah, he did. You know, wisdom is known the difference. Very true. The continual, the continual change, guys. I did the, I did the value exercise really, really quick, just, just so you know. Uh, your value <laughs> exercise. <laughs> I'm just gonna share it with you, right? Dude, yeah. my, and and then I'll I'll, show, I'll also tell people what this looks like. Let me see if it'll it'll share here. There it is. Okay. 
I've got creativity, family change, leadership, and decisiveness. Those those are the five that that I came up with, and I did it as fast as I could, kind of just to go with my my intuition, gut, gut without yeah. thinking it. Yeah, right. And, and I'm I'm loving this, man. I'm digging this. This is good. So, well, you know, you here's, the, here's the thing. Once what you went through this in a few minutes, and what you're going to notice from here on out is. You're going to start to notice when you're aligned with these and when you're not. You're going to ask yourself, are these really my top five? Because the power of getting it down to five is it's what I can remember. And the reason I want to remember them is to use them. So what you're going to re- you start to notice is when you're aligned, when you're not. You're going to notice, you're going to start asking yourself, is this really important to me or not? If I'm not demonstrating the value of creativity, is it really important to me? And they're your values. So if you, you you realize six months from now, one of these five is in your top five, you get to change it. Yeah. But once you lock in on your five, now you'll be able to say, okay, now how do I align my behavior to live those five more often? And by the way, Tristan, I used to have five. I had family happiness as one, and then I broke them apart. And the reason I broke them apart is there's always somebody unhappy in my family. I mean, pretty much. Uh, and so That's all family, man. I love that. I so I value family and I value happiness. And I've discovered I'm more helpful to my family when I myself am happy. But when I let other people in the family having a bad day make my day bad, I wasn't helpful to them. Chuck said it earlier in the North Pole. It's 60 below zero. You should take care of yourself because if you <laughs> die out here, we're going to have to drag your ass up to the, <laughs> to the North Pole. Yeah. So that's that's the deal. Yeah, very true. Very true, guys. On on empowering others, that, that last one that you talk yeah. about, and I feel like that that really is where we start creating going back to the relationships thing chuck that's where we start creating stronger relationships because we show up differently talk to me about empowering others well and i'll just say before chuck answers let me just say he'll connect i this is about deciding wisely so when you're empowering others sometimes people think i'm going to just empower people you got to do the decide wisely in the empowerment piece i just want to preface with that i'll let Chuck respond. Yeah, and, and just to you know, further Doug's point, deciding wisely is not about necessarily delegation. It's not about giving people responsibility that they can't handle. So I wouldn't give my car keys to a seven-year-old and empower them to drive my car. Mm. But it's knowing this is the wisely part. It's knowing and being able to gauge what level of empowerment can somebody handle so that they are successful? That takes wisdom. That takes thoughtfulness. That takes me knowing what you, if I'm empowering you, what you want for yourself, what you're Hmm. capable of. That's where leadership is so important. So I'll give you an example, and it's in the book. We interviewed Georgina Urena, uh, a woman out of Costa Rica. She lives in Haco, Haco, Costa Rica. It's a little town on the western uh, coast of Costa Rica. Her town was devastated by COVID because it was a tourist town. 
And when people stop traveling, they stop going to Hako. So Georgina sees this town, you know, falling apart. I mean, there's no industry, no money. She decides, what can I do to make a positive difference? She starts Hako Impact, which is an exchange where people can come and exchange services. So you fix cars. I clean houses. I need my car fixed. You need your house clean. So she started matching people with disparate services to provide for each other in her community. And she had a lot of people donate things. One of the other things she learned back to learning agility was when she was given somebody a bag of rice, if she just gave them the bag of rice, she developed dependency. So what she decided, deciding wisely and learning agility was that when I'm going to give somebody a bag of rice, I'm going to expect them to do something in return for that bag of rice. So maybe you clean my office. Maybe you fix my car. Maybe you mow my grass. But there's a, there was this exchange, and that built responsibility and independence. And that respect, self-respect. It built self-respect. Oh, respect. People started yeah. to respect themselves. Chuck met this woman. I got to meet her by phone and or interview. But Chuck actually met her literally in person, and and uh, and it, it's a phenomenal story. But she did not. Our title: Don't wait for someone else to fix it. She said, "Hey, we got a problem." And what a lot, of, and that's why this book is, in my judgment, really important. Sure, I'd like it to be a bestseller, not because I need a bestseller. People really should grab hold of the message. And say, hey, our, we're at a point in time where people are seeing what's wrong and they keep hoping someone else is going to fix it. And right. what we're saying is you are the someone else. So don't wait for someone else to fix it. Right. Uh, there are things you can right. do. Now, you can't fix every problem. But Chuck right. said it. If you can make a couple more dis good decisions, decide wisely, a couple more every day. You, you win uh, big time and the world wins. And, and, and we can't really fathom the creativity. You mentioned one of your values. And incidentally, one other thing that I would suggest, if you do this, Tristan, with anybody you work with, mm -hmm. when you get their values, even though there's little definitions on the cards, mm -hmm. talk to them about each of those values. Because what I would say to you is, you mentioned decisiveness. Tell me, what do you mean? What you you mentioned creativity? You know, what are you thinking? Because ah, you you may not be thinking. Because because when you talk about having the same values, the same words, like for mm -hmm. example, we did a we did some research comparing values of boomers versus millennials. There were two values that showed up as a plurality for both, family and achievement, oddly enough. But both groups defined it completely differently. Achievement to the millennial was experience. Chuck talked about keeping up with uh, neighbors or you know whatever. We talk about those kind of things. A lot of us think of achievement. I've climbed the ladder. I got the next job. I got the next car. I got this. I got that. That, but that's not how the younger people are defining achievement. It's not about an accumulation of things. Mm -hmm. It's experience. 
at least that was that study that we did. And when it came to family, boomers were the sandwich generation. Boomers taking care of aging elderly parents and underemployed adult children. (laughs) So so the boomers were, were, were in that sandwich zone. And so they looked at it differently. The millennials said, in this 24-7 world, we rely on our family to help us sort out the noise. We don't value family as, as the boomers. The boomers, we value it as a sense of responsibility. Millennials value it as a as a source of wisdom. Interesting, man. So I, I love that extra exercise to this. So That's talk really, about it with yeah, whoever. It'll create a lot more clarity. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for that. All right, guys. Let's wrap this up. Everyone, please pick up the book. You can pick it up on Amazon. You can go to Wiley directly. Chuck, Doug, it's probably on your website too. What's the best website to go to? Thinktoperform.com. But you said Amazon, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, they all carry it. So, And it is in, available on Kindle. I see, think soon to be available in an audiobook. Nice. Guy. Did you guys read it too or someone else read it? Someone else read it. I, I believe someone else is reading it. I don't know that. People ask all the time uh, if we will read it. We, we will speak to it, though, when you come to our conference, Tristan, in October. I love that. And then, yeah, I'm going to take it. Thanks for having us, Tristan. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Take care of yourself. Thanks. Thanks. Have a great day. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.